Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, a podcast where I, playwright Kieran Fitzgerald, chats to emerging, established and experienced artists in the fields of theatre, film, television, dance and drama, from Wales and beyond, to find out more about their careers and to see how they've been coping during the coronavirus pandemic. Expect laughs, gossip, and an insight into the careers of some of Wales's best-known creatives. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Hello and welcome to this episode of In Lockdown With, with me, Kieran Fitzgerald. My guest on this week's episode is Phil Harris. Hi Phil, how's it going? Hello Kieran, how are you? Lovely to see you and to hear you. Thank you so much for coming on. Hey. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's lovely to be here. Well, so how has this period of lockdown been for you? Oh, it's a funny one, isn't it? You know, um, I've been, uh, I consider myself one of the lucky ones, really, um, because thanks to the patronage, if you like, of people like uh, Gaynor Styles at Theatre Nanook, and um, and also for me, Angela Gould at Drama Canontave, um, I've been able to work online mm. and um, luckily, thankfully, the work has continued throughout the, uh, the lockdown um, and it, it's kept me reasonably busy and sane as well because obviously the mental health issues are the mm. big thing uh, during lockdown and um, it, it's been, I've been able to focus my brain on something which has been, uh, I find, I myself being very lucky for that. How do you find working online and doing things over Zoom? How do you find it? Well, you know, it was a big learning curve, wasn't it? You know, when somebody said to me when we started off, we're going to do it on Zoom, I had no idea what Zoom was. I mean, I'd heard of, of Skype and FaceTime, but I didn't do those either. Uh, now I can do all three and uh, <laughs> I'm quite adept at it and quite enjoy it. I enjoy the physical and mental challenge of getting to grips with this computer that sometimes I could just pick up and throw yeah. on the floor. <laughs> and it's been fine, you know, I mean, um, obviously when, when I've been doing things and sitting at it all day, then different different things can come into, uh, into being then, like the physicality of your body, you know, sitting mm. for long long hours and uh, you know how do you how do you cope with that so um it's been nice with some of the zoom meetings and rehearsals we've done we've done short little stabs at it so we might have worked for an hour or two and then had a break and back and some more had a break and back and go i think you need i think i think you need that to be honest because it can be very energy sapping and I feel like you've got to be you have to be present all the time whereas if you're in a rehearsal room you've got occasions where you can maybe drop off a little bit and have those moments of <laughs> No Kieran, you can never drop off Don't but, 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 like, that. If, Don't if, let anybody hear you saying that But like if you're not in a scene if you're not in a scene and you've got you can do, do, do you know what I mean? I'm not, listen, I do know what you mean. And of course, what I would say to that is that some directors work differently to each other, don't they? Some yeah. directors will just call the participants who are in the scene into the rehearsal room for that scene. Other directors like everybody there all the time mm. so that they can get, a, get an idea of what what the vision is and what the play is about and to see other people working. Um, I, I've tried both over the years and, and I, I don't prefer one to the other. You, you know, you just get on and, yeah. and work with that yeah. particular director. The, the first question I'm going to ask you is, 
How did you first get interested in theatre? Yes, and um, it's all I've ever wanted to do. I've never wanted to do anything else at all. Um, from a very young age, I think my first recollection of of uh, playing a character was um, I got to play um, Dewey Sant, St. David, right. in, in junior school. And um, I always tell the story, but... But, you know, back in the day, I any excuse not to go to school, and I'd take it gladly with both hands. Um, but this particular occasion, I remember feeling very ill. And normally I would have stayed at home, but I can remember saying to my mother, I've got to go to school and play in Derry Sant. Mm. I've got to go in. So I struggled in and uh, enjoyed playing uh, St. David, um, and, and then probably went straight home after, after the play. Um but that's my first recollection, and of course, uh, being a chapel goer back in the day as well, um, always involved with the nativity plays at Christmas, and um, I can always remember playing Herod. Um, right. Yes, I, I, I never, in fact, I never wanted to play Joseph. Um, I always wanted to play Herod, and uh, it was great for me to dress up as, as a king. I don't, I don't think at that age or time I knew much about it really, but... No. Uh, the pomp and circumstance of playing Herod suited me greatly. You don't normally yeah. include Herod in nativity plays, do they? <laughs> you yes. not normally include it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but, but, like, when did you start to think, you know, I could have a career in this? Did you know that a career was a possibility? Um... I, I'm, I'm being completely honest with you, you know, even at that age, that's all I wanted to do. So when I went to comprehensive school, um, drama was my main interest even then. Drama and music, they both went hand in hand for me. Um, but I was lucky um, in a Skolka Vinas de la Vera, uh, when I went there, I was taught by Emily Davis, who was a, a great drama person. And she was a great influence on me and a lot of other people. And in fact, uh, Emily Davis left Estelavera uh, to, to be uh, artistic yes. director of Theatre Cymru. Oh, um, wow. Back in the day. And, and she was instrumental then in, in kind of giving jobs to, to people like myself, my contemporaries. Unfortunately, I never got to work for Theatre Cymru at that time. Um, I missed out on that. But I would say that Emily Davis gave me a helping hand in an audition for my first job. Um, that was um, in, in a rep company, a repertory theatre company, um, over the summer in 1982 uh, in Ardidoi, Harlech, Theatre Ardidoi, right. Harlech. And um, Emily Davis asked me to go for an audition for this, and, and yeah. um, I think she gave a, a good word for me as well. So I got the part. And it was my first job, £35 a week and a breakfast box included. It was marvellous times. That's not bad. And, um, <laughs> we did two plays. We did Equus by Peter Schaffer and mm. um, Alfie, um, of course, which um, uh, w w w was a big film for Michael Caine. And yeah. um, they played in rep. Um, I think we did, I think we must have done a week on, week off. Um, you know, a week of Alfie and then a week of Elf, uh, of Equus. And we got good crowds, you know, yeah. some tourists up in Harlech there. And it, it was it was halcyon days because, you know, we were very young. And um, after the play, we would um, we would go down to the beach and have midnight feasts on the mm. beach and go swimming. It was fantastic. And, and that then led me directly to go to the Welsh College of Music and Drama. Which, um, which was the next step, if you like. Why do you think that that form of repertory theatre no longer really exists in the UK? Well, it, you know, I mean, is it cost-effective anymore? I don't know. I mean, are the crowds still there? Um, I know that Aberystwyth, they still do a summer season. Right. They don't do rep as such, but they do put on a show, um, which... I, in fact, I saw one uh, before lockdown. It was great. Uh, my mate, Yaya Reese, was in it. 
um, it was um, Oliver. Right. And it was a great production, you know, and, and they get great crowds. And, and I still think that, of course, there are still rep companies out there, but but uh, it's a different it's different times, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. you get you get a lot of actors. I, I don't know how many, twenty actors, maybe more, performing in two or three plays a week. Um, people don't seem to want to do that anymore, and then, no. it's a shame because that's where you learn your craft, isn't it? You know, mm. it's a great learning curve, uh, repertory theatre. And um, you mentioned you studied at the Royal College of Music and Drama. Uh, what was that experience like, and how did you develop as an actor during that time? I don't, I don't know if I developed much during that time. <laughs> I was, uh, you know, I was young. I was stupid. I didn't really invest enough time um, at the college. Uh, you know, enough time in the work of learning how how to develop technique. Right. And um, you know, I kind of relied on my natural default, which was uh, which was on stage to do something all the time. Um, so unintentionally, I say, given you know, <laughs> I was upstaging people all the time because, you know, when, when I wasn't speaking, I was still acting and I was still doing things in the back. Was that was uh, that because you felt you had to be doing something? You know, I'm on stage, I should be doing something. Think, yes, I think that comes into it. Um, no one had told me that... Uh, you know, the, the director hadn't told me not to do it. Um, the, the one I remember particularly, uh, we, we were doing a, a play by Edward Bond called Save, which is um, it's quite a play. It's, it's very um, uh, harrowing. It's a harrowing mm. play. Um, but there was a scene in it where I had to iron in the background. Didn't say anything, but I was in the back uh, ironing. And, of course, for me, well, if I'm ironing, I'm going to iron. Yeah. And the reports after the after the after the show was we couldn't take our eyes off you because you know you were mesmerising just ironing. <laughs> and of course, I was upstage in the actors without realising yeah. it, and they weren't very happy with me at all. So I did realise very quickly that you have to be careful what you do on stage, not to upstage people, and to do things um, you know succinctly and. Mm. That's not a loaded question. Were you performative when you were off stage as well as on stage? Well, I would answer that by saying no. Um, yes, I was a show-off. I'm still a show-off. Uh, on stage, when I'm at home and when I was at home as a, as a young boy, I was really quite quiet, really, um, and, and didn't perform at home. But, my mother and father would always say, "Oh, go and play, go and play the flute for us." I said, "No, I don't want to. I don't want to. I didn't want to perform, you know, at home at all." But but once I was in school on stage, in that environment, mm. I, I'd love to do it. I'd, I'd love to show off, you know. Um, it's a good question, now. I suppose it's having that environment where you feel comfortable and feel supportive that you can perform. Yeah, it's a strange one, isn't it? You know, even even when I go to see plays or or musicals, I always want to be on stage. I always want to be in them. Um, And it's that, you know, it's the camaraderie of taking part um, with people on stage and and sharing a moment on stage, which there's nothing quite like sharing a moment on stage Mm. with someone. Um, And you've got to be a bit of a show off to enjoy that, I think. Don't, Don't you think so? I think so. There has to be part of you. Um, there has to be part of you that works. You know, I, you know, I feel like that. Um, but yeah, like coming out of the Welsh College, graduation, 
What were the challenges for you breaking into the industry? Well, we, we're, we're talking about the early 80s, of course, you know, and um, the early 80s, if not all of the 80s, was was a very exciting time indeed, you know. Um, there were cutbacks, theatre companies going bust and losing funding and, you know, demonstrations mm. for all kinds of reasons. It was very exciting times. And, uh, <clears throat> of course, during those early 80s, um, S4C started out. Mm. For people like me coming out of college, there were opportunities there. Um, it, it took a while for me to get an opportunity. I, I ended up teaching for a year because before the College of Music and Drama, I'd gone to Trinity College, Carmarthen, College of Drindod, right. and, um, and got a teaching certificate. So when I did leave the Welsh call, I, I went to teach. Pill supply, I was known as in those days, <laughs> and um, I'd end up in the Ronda in, in a school and yeah. not teach very much. I did stand on the class and say something, um, but I, I never wanted to teach. I, I only wanted to act, and I'll, I'll never forget, you know, the um, going for additions but not not getting parts mm. and feeling quite frustrated at that, and then one day. Um, there was a knock on the door and I was in the bath so um, I, I got my, my towel in robe I went to answer the uh, answer the door and it was uh, one of my friends and a director from the Sherman Theatre right. and um, they said will, will you come with us now to the Sherman for an audition <gasps> for a Sherman Christmas show I said well I can't I'm I, 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 with my dressing over here, you know, no, don't worry about that. Put something on and come with us now. The director wants to see you doing the reading for yeah. a part. So, um, I'll never forget, we, we went over in, in my friend Johnny Biggins' Volkswagen car. <laughs> it only had one seat in the front, and there were four of us in it. Um, and um, got to the Sherman, and um, the the play, the Christmas show, was an adaptation that the director had written himself. The okay. director being Mike James, um, and it was a, a Oz, so an adaptation of The Wizard of Oz. And he wanted me to read for the part of Tin Man, mm. and he said, "No, I'd like you to read this part um, as if you were a Swansea tenor." <laughs> um, I've got some music I'd like you to sing as well so uh, he gave me some music and we had a couple of goes at it and I ended up singing this part of Tin Man as a Swansea tenor I lost my heart um, it was a lovely part and a lovely song and um, I was lucky enough to get the part yeah. now that was big news for me then because it meant I got my equity card and that was one of the one of the big things back in the day was that you couldn't really work without an equity card, but you couldn't get an equity card without working. Okay. So it was a bit of a catch twenty two situation. So it was a great job. I got my equity card, and I was able to go into into the school the next day and tell the headmaster, excuse me, but I'd like to resign my job, oh. which was a lovely feeling. And I'll never forget, uh, one of the teachers, uh, whose name was Peter Wong, he said to me, Phil, you must be mad. You'll save here for a job for the next 40 years. <laughs> and they, I looked at him, no, I looked at this no. haggard face and thought, no, That's if no this is what it looks like teaching for 40 years, it's not for me. So it was great. So I got my job, I got my equity card, and it started things off for me. I wonder if you talk a bit about your process as an actor and whether it's changed over the years. Does it depend on what the project is? Well, it, yes, it does depend on what the project is. I, and, you know, looking back, I my, my process has changed immensely over the years. You know, I, I as I keep saying, I was very young and naive uh, to start off with. And, uh, and because... I hadn't invested enough um, at college. I didn't have a great technique. Um, but the, the technique I had, I'd learned when I was in West Glamorgan Youth Theatre yeah. under Godfrey Evans. And um, wow, that, that was a great grounding, great 
weird technique that, that they taught you there, you know. Um, but at that time, you know, I was just I was just going from job to job, and um, I didn't really know what what I what I was, was doing. You know, I was just getting the script, learning the script, and, and getting on with it. Yeah. Um, I didn't really invest in the character as much as I like to do now. Um, that's one thing that's changed over the years. I, I I do like to research now as much as I can. You know, a character's background. Uh, where the character's from, what likes, dislikes they have. Any research I can do now into a character helps me. Um, helps me inhabit the character, you know. Whereas mm. at the time, I, I might have been a little bit one-dimensional, if I'm honest with myself. Um, I'll never forget, I, I did a job in Exeter, the North God Theatre, um, mid-80s it was, and... Um, it was having a ball by Alan Bleasdale, set in a vasectomy clinic. Okay. It was a great, great play, great play. <laughs> I played the nurse, and the artistic director of the theatre uh, was was a man called George Roman. Uh, he 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 was a Hungarian and a great tennis player. Um, he never when he played tennis, he never moved. He, <laughs> he, he made the opponent move. <laughs> But I remember him telling our director, and well, I don't remember him telling the director. The director told me that he'd told him. Um, he's that Philip Harris you've got. He, he's I don't believe in him. And when the director told me, I, I couldn't really grasp that. I couldn't work it out, you know, for many years. I didn't know what he meant by that. But but I I think it was that inhabiting a character researching in the character and believing in the character um, that helps others believe in you yes. and, so you know it, it was a it was a lesson learned shall we say and, and how much research do you do beyond what's in the text like... yeah well it, it's whatever I've got available to me basically and of course with with uh, with the with the advent of the uh, of the web and all that, you know, it's uh, it's all there, isn't it? You know, uh, I I like to I like to find out what the songs of the period were to try and mm. and you know set you in the time frame, um, and you know if if it's set in the period, then you know just find out everything about that period, who was who was popular during that period, what what were the influences. Um, mm. What novels, what literature, everything really, just to to get an idea of what of what that character would know at the time. And um, something else you've done pretty frequently all the years is appear in pantomime as they mainly with the Detroit. Um First of all, like how did how did that start? How did you? Uh, like, what was your first panto? How did you decide to do it for the first time? <laughs> oh, do you know, do you know I'm looking at your, your little face there, and you're, you're beaming with that question. It, it's as if, it's as if you're, you, you want to be a panto dame yourself. Am well, I, right? <laughs> I, I, I've heard you talk about it before, and I know that it's, you really enjoy doing it. I do, I do really enjoy doing it. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start that question by saying that job I spoke about earlier on, my first, the, the job where I got my equity card, uh, mm. Sherman Christmas Show. I, I ended up doing four of those shows, uh, one after another. And they were all written by Mike James, and they were called Christmas Shows. They were fantastic. And the word panto, well, you couldn't mention the word panto if you were on stage right. doing a Sherman Christmas show because Panto was the rival, you know, Panto was in the new theatre mm. or, or somewhere else and I'd always loved Panto, I had no problem with Panto um, but during those years we scorned at Panto, which I can't right. believe now, but we did, we thought we were a little bit more uh, more righteous than Panto like almost um, too, too good for it Maybe. Oh yeah, we we did think that, you know, and it's a terrible thing to think. But but there we are. That's what we thought at the time. 
And I would say, when I was young, um, I grew up with a heavy Panto influence because my father worked in a departmental store in Swansea called David Evans, and they would hold their own Panto every year right. for you know for the uh, for the wives and for the, for the children. And um, my father was the Panto Dame in mm. those Pantos, so. I, I grew up with, with dresses and jewellery all over that and wigs all over the place, you know, and I would dress up in them and, you know, have a laugh and enjoy it. Um, so it was there from an early age, if you like, probably in my blood, in my subconscious. Would you have um, gone to see Ryan Davis in the Grand as well? Yes, I was lucky to see Ryan um, and, and Ronnie as well, probably. Um, Although I've spoken to this, uh, Jan Rees, who's a big fan of them, he can remember going to see those pantos vividly. Unfortunately, I can't. Um, although I can remember going, but I can't remember enough. Right. Um, my first proper recollection of panto was the Welsh pantomime uh, performed by Theatre Cymru. And I can remember an actor whose name is Winfred Ellis Owen, and he played a character called Fairy Nuff. So it's like a play of words, Fairy Nuff, Fairy Nuff. And I'll never forget him leaping off the stage and climbing up the back of the seats in the auditorium. And, and Winfred is, is a tall man. He's got to be about six foot five. And to see this character coming down from stage and climbing up the backs of the seats in the auditorium, oh, well, I, I was mesmerised by it all, fascinated, and, and I was hooked from then, if I'm honest. Um, and there were great, you know, Dewey Puss were, mm. who was in those um, Welsh Panthers as well. They were great. So um, those are the ones I actually remember, although I did go to the ones in the Grand as well. And, and, for, and, you, uh, and for you, can start into performing Panther, like, um... Did you start off as a dame or did you play other roles before that? Yeah, do you know, um, going back to school really, my, my first my first panto really was in school when I was in the sixth form and um, it was written, the panto was called Clachai Cwm Turch Isaf, the bells of Lower Cwm Turch. <laughs> and it was written by um, Alan Llewellyn who's now a counsellor, um, and Rianne Morgan, who, of course, is now an actress. Mm. And uh, they also directed the panto, and I played the king. Um, again, see, more, more kings. Mm. And um, it, during that, that, during the first rehearsal of that, I remember Alan and Rianne coming over to me and saying, Phil, can we have a little word with you outside? And, uh, yeah, of course. So they took me outside and they said, no, look, we've written this art for you, for your personality with you in mind, but you're trying to do something with it that you don't need to do. Right. We just want you to be yourself. Oh, okay. Because I was trying to act it out, I guess. You know what I mean? So from that moment on, I just started to be myself and started to add lip and play around and, and it worked. You know, um, and that's what they wanted because they, they'd written the thing with me in mind, so there was no need for me to play somebody else. Yeah. I just needed to be myself, and that was a great lesson learned. That was my very first panto playing the king, but then, of course, the first professional panto um, was uh, Aladdin. And uh, I was up in the, in the BBC in Sandarf at the time. And um, in the canteen, and Owen Money came into the canteen, saw me, <laughs> and shouted out across the room, Phyllis, do you want to be in a pantomime? Uh, yeah, go on then. <laughs> and that was it. So um, I was lucky to get the part um, with Owen in his panto yeah. Aladdin, playing the part of Widow Twanky, mm. which is, it is the great dim part to play. And Owen was very generous to me because, um, because I was very naive, very green, um, and, and you know, I was ad-libbing even then, and, and Owen was was letting me yeah. do it. 
and if something maybe didn't work he'd say oh don't do that that doesn't work as well as what you did before and he was great you know so I learned a lot from Owen learned a lot watching Owen as well um, because that's the other thing to go back to what you said about um, switching off in the room yeah I regret saying that then. Right, you regret <laughs> saying that but don't worry about it but <laughs> when, when in that during that first panto if I wasn't on stage and switched off, not listening to the mm. to the tannoy and to what was going on on stage. I, I, some, uh, the early days, I'd go back on and repeat a gag that Owen had just said. Right. Because I wasn't listening, you know. So oh. I learned very, very quickly not to switch off in the dressing room, but to listen to what was going on on stage, just in case you repeated any gags. When you're doing panto, how much? Do you stick to the script and how much is improvisation or Adler? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's a great question and I'm sure people think that you just make it up as you go along, don't you? But, but for me, script is everything. You've got to have a script. It's got to be a good script and that is your backbone. Um, with a good script, you can, you, know, you can play around with it as much as you like. But you've always got to come back to the script and you haven't got you you mustn't um, go away from the script too much so that it you lose the sense of the story you know panto especially the story between good and evil yeah. is is paramount that's the importance of the panto and um you can play around but you've always got to come back to that story so um you've got to know that yeah. script inside out um and yes you do as the dame you get, you you do get a lot of chances to ad lib. All the other characters don't get the same no. chances, apart from the comic, um, or, you know, the silly Billy character. Yeah. Um, you know, the princess, the kings, the, the queens, the baddies, they've got to stick to that script and keep driving it forward and allow them, the, the comics, to, to play around with it and to do the jokes and to entertain the crowd. Mm. Uh, and when you're playing Dame, is it the same characterization every time? Or does it differ from to one Pretty much so, Keelan, yes. It's uh, same character, different frock. <laughs> <laughs> Several different frocks around the costumes. <laughs> you know, funnily enough, though, I, I have to say, every, every time I start doing... Mm. Uh, a new panto. I do think of the dame being different to the the one previously. You know, mm. um, they are different. But um, I mean, if you take Widow Twanky, you know, she she is a widow. She's looking for a new husband, so she's very very gregarious. Yeah. Um, not all the dames are that flirty, but um, but I I do try and push that flirtiness with the with the audience as much as I can. So that ends up being the same then but um there are slight differences definitely but it's basically you know once you you see i i i i, I played one of the ugly sisters once um it was for a, another owen money panto but michael bogdanoff the the great theater director mm. who's not with us anymore fortunately he directed the, that panto for owen he directed it in four days where Jeez. when Michael Bogdanovich used to direct this and then in four months. Um, <laughs> it was great. It was a great experience. Um, but I, I played one of the ugly sisters and, and you know, I, I hadn't played it before and I was trying to do very posh. I, you know, I was trying to be like that. And I remember Michael saying, no, 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 the ugly sisters, they are common. They are high comedy. You can't do it like that. You've just got to be, again, be yourself. Just heighten yeah. your own traits, your own character, characteristics, um, and you know, be yourself. So you ended up doing it like that because I'm from Wales. Yeah. I was from the north part of England. I do it in that accent, you know. But um, you, you've got to be careful that you don't try to be someone that you aren't. Yeah. Again, going back to that, you know, school panto, you know, be yourself. That, that's a really, really important message. I think um, 
So you've also directed, you're the associate director for Theatre Nanook. Um, how did you get interested in directing? Yeah, God, well, um, I'd had the, you know, I must have been interested in directing, I suppose, mustn't I? Uh, but, but I didn't have much confidence. Right. Um, and I was working with Theatre Nanook and, um, uh, one day, Gaines Gain said, well, you fancy I'm going to go directing something? And, and I thought, well, I do, but I haven't got much confidence, you know, I haven't done mm. it before, and I'm, I'm not sure. Well, look, don't worry, but we, we've, uh, I think um, I think it was the Fenton Arts Trust that had uh, put some money in to, to, um, to nurture a director, and um, I was lucky enough to to get get the chance to do that. So um, I took it with both hands, and you know, and before that, I I I'd been assistant to assistant director to Gainer uh, on a couple of shows. So um, you know, I was able to see the way she'd worked. And, um, and we worked quite similar to each other, actually. Um, so it was great. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And, you know, it, it was it was a show for, for, for children going around the schools. It was um, a, a version of Jack and the Beanstalk. Right. And, um, you know, so it was, it was very Panto-esque as well. So it, it was a great starting point. And um, I thoroughly enjoyed the experience. How much did you learn from working with Gainer and watching Gainer work? Yeah, a, a great deal, you know. Um, Gainer likes to, to get things blocked very quickly uh, and blocking for those people who aren't used to that phrase is, is to work out where you're standing on stage, stagecraft, you know, do you move to there, then come back down here, then go over to there. Uh, both Gainer and I like to get that done very quickly so that we can then concentrate on actually, you know, the, the characteristics of the character and, and the, the thought process and the intentions. Um, so I like to get that done as quickly as, as, we, as I can. And um, to watch Gainer work at that is, 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 is great, you know, the great learning curve. And um, we're going to move on slightly again. And you've you've also acted for film and TV. Uh, what do you find is the difference between acting for screen and acting for the stage? Well, you you know, you know that there are so many differences in those different mediums. You know, on TV, you you have to be. Uh, as still as possible and, and, and it's difficult you know uh, <laughs> I, I did um, I, 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 I did a film called The Last Seduction 2 right, and right. Now, there, there is a film called The Last Seduction and that was an award winning film, it was a marvellous film uh -huh. and this was the sequel and it was filmed in Cardiff, set in Barcelona, <laughs> it a lot of, of local actors, and I got the part of a, of a Spanish barman, yeah, uh, called Jimmy. Um, so when when we started the filming, um, you know, I was saying, "Yes, what well, what would you like?" And you do this, and I'm moving my arms around and I'm moving my head and all this. But the director kept saying, oh, "That's good, that's good, but just hold it down a bit. Don't don't move around as much." Okay. Uh, so I do it again, and I move my hands a little bit less, and move my head a little bit less, yeah. but I'm still moving too much for the director. So again, so just keep, keep toning it down, you get in there. Right. And this went on for a long time, and I was really feeling very embarrassed. Um, and by the end, in my mind, I wasn't moving at all. I was hardly moving at all, because I was too scared to move. Yeah. The director came over to me, and he said, look, I'm... I'm can I have a little word with you outside? <laughs> that, that word outside again. Well, he took me outside and he, he put his arm on my toe and he said, Listen, I'm really sorry, but this really isn't working out as I planned. And I thought, oh my, my God, I'm going to get the sack here. My, my first time I get the sack from a job. Yeah. Then he, 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 he had a little glint in his eye and he said, Can you do camp? <laughs> 
well, I've, I've just done a couple of pantos. Uh, um, yes, I yes. can do camp. Yes, good. Let's try it. But Jimmy the barman is camp. Okay? Mm. He went back into the set and I did it. Oh, can I get you to drink? It was like being the day. Yeah. And the director, he clapped his hands and said, That's it. That's what I'm on. <laughs> and then he shouted, he shouted to the props guys, Get him a pair of earrings. Get him back. Get him a rest. <laughs> And it ended up going from not from him telling me not to do too mm. much to him telling me you can do what you want now. And I thought, yeah. what's going on here? It's strange. But because of the nature of the character, I guess that allowed, you know, more more movement, if you like. Yeah. But it's difficult, Kieran, you know, because on stage you can be larger than life, but on television and film you really have got to be, uh, you know, you've got to make choices about what you move. Are you someone who feeds off an audience as well? And without an audience, do you struggle if you're not if you're just performing to a camera? Well, again, it depends on you know if if you're doing TV or film, then you know you don't have an audience. And over the years, I kind of used the the crew as an audience, you know, and I've related to the camera people and the sound guys and, and the standby props and I you know, I've always used them as a sounding board to see, you know, because they would be the first to tell you. They'll come up and say, Hey, that was very good, that was. Love that. Yeah. Or you or you'll hear them laughing or whatever. Mm. And um so if you don't have a proper audience, use the, the technicians as a sounding yes. Sounding board. And, and you've also done Shakespeare, of course. Um, well, I love doing a bit of Shakespeare. Who'd have thought? Phil Harris from a Slovenia doing Shakespeare. Uh, did, did you find it initially something that was difficult or inaccessible, or have you always enjoyed Shakespeare? Oh, I, I never thought, I never thought I'd do Shakespeare. In, in college, I remember doing Shakespeare um, classes in college, and I just, I had no idea, you know. Absolutely none at all. Although, when I was with the um, National Youth Theatre of Wales in the 70s, mm. we did a production of Much Ado About Nothing, directed by um, Alan Vaughan Williams. And it was, it was marvellous, um, because the, the production, you had a main cast, and then you had another two casts, one Welsh cast, one English cast, who were doing a Welsh play and an English play, during the first and second halves of Much Ado About Nothing. Right. So the cast then would turn around. So he set it in, in the Mexican wars, so the, the cast, the English cast in the first half, were, were kind of sacked and left, and then the, uh, the Welsh cast who were doing their Welsh play would come into the second half as <laughs> new peasants and servants. Yeah. And that was my first introduction, and I loved that because um, Alan Ball Williams brought it to life. You know, and mm -hmm. and and much ado is a great play anyway. It's it's quite an easy play to to understand, so it's a good one to start. But again, I'll never forget. I, I when I came on for that second half, my peasant role was was a peasant. He just wanted to play football. Okay, mm -hmm. I had the ball, and I would play with my football. And I'll never forget being oh absolutely distraught. Um. Probably after the last show, Alan Vaughan Williams came up to me at the end and he said, Phil, you weren't a footballer tonight. And he was, you know, he was yeah. upset with me. I didn't know what he meant. And what it was, I was, I was into football and I was playing with the football on stage, throwing it up in the air with my hands instead of playing keepy uppy yeah. as a footballer would do. Yeah. And that was another big lesson for me, you know, inhabit the role. If you're going to play a footballer, mm. do what a footballer do it, would do, yeah. not what a basketball player would do, you know. Great so, little lessons like that along the way have been very helpful. I forgot what we were talking about then. What was she, we talking she, about? She, she, well, yes. So then, then I was lucky enough then with Michael Bogdanov to, to head off to Ludlow, a very famous festival in Ludlow, and uh, do some Shakespeare with Michael there. We did... Uh, Merry Wives of Windsor, Winter's Tale, Merchant of Venice, and uh, also Stafford as well. Um, mm. 
where I got to do Midsummer Night's Dream, um, Comedy of Errors. Oh, I've done loads now. It's fantastic. And I've, I've even uh, shown my bottom. Have you seen my bottom, Kieran? Did you ever see my bottom? No, I don't think I did. Oh, it's <laughs> a marvellous thing. That was up in Theatre Quaid. I got to play bottom in Midsummer Night's Dream. Is that is is that your favourite out of the ones that you've done? Um, I, I think it's it's one of them. It's definitely one of them. Um, there are a couple. There's a lovely character in Merry Wives of Windsor I played called uh, Sir Hugh Evans, a Welsh parson. That's a great, great character. <laughs> but Bottom is he's so well known, isn't it? Everybody mm. wants to And. Recently as well, you've been a mentor for Teaching the Nogs Young Associates. What's that been like and how have you supported some of the young artists who are coming through into the industry? Yeah, you know, it's been great to see these young artists um, on our Zoom meetings. You know, they're so full of aspirations and hope and they haven't had the chance yet to, to perform. You know, because of, mm. of the lockdown, um, but you can see in them that glimmer of hope that's going to come when when we get back to normal and they get a chance to perform and just get to you know to to savor the wonderful uh, world of of theatre that I've been able to savor myself over the years and um, you know uh, they they they're just lacking that little bit of confidence at the moment because mm. they don't know what to expect. And um, hopefully then through these seminars that we've been holding, listening yeah. to us old old guys and girls <laughs> babbling on about the holidays, hopefully, you know, it's given them a little bit of um, perspective into the, uh, the life of theatre and performance that, um, that will come to them very soon, I'm sure. And it's been so difficult trying to break through into an industry that has been shut down for the last 18 months. I'm sure, as you say, they've lost confidence in themselves, perhaps. Yes, of, of course. I'm, you know, I talked to friends of, of, of mine that, that, that they, they've said to me recently, you know, I, I'm doing this tonight and I'm really nervous about it. I've lost confidence. And it's incredible how quickly that confidence you've built up over the years disappears. It doesn't take mm -hmm. long at all. And it's enough to stop some people, you know, leaving the business because they, they can't put up with it anymore. And that's such a shame. Great actors and actresses have already left the business. Um, hopefully they'll come back, you never know. But um, to see those those great actors leaving is, is, is a shameful thing. It's such a shame. Mm. And how are you feeling about getting back on stage after yeah, it's, um, uh, I, I'm, I've, I've been lucky in the last couple of weeks. Um, I've done a poems and pints evening, um, which was which was okay. You know, it was a, yeah. It felt okay. We were we, we felt quite safe where we were standing in relation to the audience, um, and we were two meters from each other. Um, that felt all right, and and I'm you know my the next. The next gig I've got is an evening with Shane Williams. Right. Um, so Yayan and myself, we we uh, we ask the great legend that is Shane questions about his life and his loves of rugby, and um, and then the second half the audience get a chance to uh, to ask their questions. Mm. And that's up in Theatre Cloyd outside. Right. So I'm feeling okay about that. Um, but I guess the next big production inside. Is going to be Panto, which um, which again yes. is in Theatre Cloyd, and at the moment of printing is still going ahead. So um, fingers crossed. Hopefully by then we'll have we'll have worked up enough confidence and you know vaccines and all that, and, and we'll be okay. So well, the last thing I want to ask you is what advice would you give to someone? Who's just starting out in the industry, especially considering. Follow your, yeah, follow your dreams, follow your heart. If if you've got a love of something, then you you've got to follow that right through to the end. Um, give it all you've got. You know, research as much as you can about something. 
you know, read the play, read it again and again, make sure you know what the other characters are up to, um, and just go for it. If if you if you find like 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 I found myself out to work many times, then create work for yourself. Don't yeah. don't sit idle. You know, write something, take it out there. You know, over the years. We've, we've, we've done shows around the schools, you know, phoning up the schools and, hey, we've got this play, do you want it, you know, and, and just done things ourselves. It's very important that you uh, that you keep going with as many different things as possible. If you've got, if, you know, if you've got musical interests, they mm. come into play, you know, just don't, don't exclude anything and be prepared to do everything. If somebody asks you to dye your hair blue, dye do it really? blue. You know, you can dye it back. It's not a problem. Lots of people are scared to do things like that. You know, don't be scared. Go with it, and um, invest in the future for yourself in your chosen profession. Dilch and Violetel, it's been fantastic talking to you. Thank you for coming on. Um, but. That's about it for this episode of In Lockdown With. Uh, my guest on the next episode, I think, will be another Harris, Krista Harris, who is a freelance director, London-based, has worked with uh, companies like Wild Child and Les Enfants Terribles. So, um, until then, it's bye for me. It's the boy from Phil. Hello, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of In Lockdown With. The podcast is written, produced and curated by me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Thank you to all my guests for taking the time to appear on the show. If you enjoyed this episode of In Lockdown With, please consider liking or subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I'll see you next time for another interview.